so what did you guys think of the finale? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I it was pretty crazy. I, there's a lot to say, but I mean, it was it was pretty nuts. It's it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I kind of feel like they really went over the edge with this one. Oh, fuck you! Damn it, <laughs> Ian. We're like babes in the wild. Gordos <laughs> in the landscape of the mind. It's gonna be so subversive. They're gonna love it. <laughs> so dark. <laughs> <laughs> she was like a sad cactus. I'm sorry, but I want to be able to see out of my knuckle hair. You, you've opened my eyes. <laughs> we are a hive mind. We are one. Hey, little nepotiz. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah, that's upsetting. Say the word. You know the word. (laughs) Wackadoo. Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome. This is A Matter of Taste. The season finale episode, potentially series finale episode of Hannibal Season 3, The Wrath of the Lamb. I'm Ian. I'm here, as always, with Theo. Hello. And tonight, we are joined by Vic. Hey, everybody. So, (laughs) The Wrath of the Lamb. I think it's actually pretty awesome that um, there's this there's this unknown factor with the show where we're not sure if this is going to be the series finale or if we're going to get to see at least something that furthers what we've been following. Um, but if you, you you put that aside for a second and consider the fact that um, if you know about the whole uh, you know the source material here, the the books, and and even in the movies, if you wanna if you wanna go there, um, this season pretty much signifies the end of what is traditionally the the Will Graham arc. Like after this story, there are no more Will Graham stories. This is it. This is the end. So if we don't get anything else after this, we at least have a three season arc of this show that pretty much just has the beginning, middle, and end of Will Graham's relationship with Hannibal. And I, I remember thinking earlier on in the season that that's, that is actually a pretty neat thing about, about what we've gotten at the very least from this show. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Um, and, uh, I, I, Looking back on it all, I am really glad that Brian Fuller's first instinct when the idea was proposed to him was to ask, well, do you have the rights to the Will Graham character? Because he he talked about it early on, and he was right. There hasn't been a really good... uh, Before the show, there wasn't really a really good uh, representation of Will Graham on on film. Uh, Manhunter was was pretty good, and uh, Red Dragon... Ed Norton's great, but Brett Ratner just drove that movie into a pulp because he's Brett Ratner. Um, and so uh, me having not read the books, 
only being familiar with the movies, it is cool to have seen a, a character that may have been overlooked because Clarice was such a huge presence in the cultural zeitgeist that was Hannibal Lecter, if we want to call it that. Yeah. Um, it's cool to see them explore this character in such a way that it's it's it has every right to be here. <laughs> it wasn't just well, and, a cash in or anything like that. Well, and and you and I talked about this a while ago, Ian. How um, like when I was reading the books, like I watched the movies first. Like you know, a lot of people do that. You know, you see the movies. You know, later on you might get around to reading the books. And when I read the books, um, I was shocked because I mean I wanted to read them in order because I figured that's the right way to do it. And when I read Red Dragon, I, I loved it. Like, I, I really loved it. And Will Graham was such a fascinating character. And I felt like he and Hannibal were such, were such good rivals. You know, like there was such an, an equality thing going on there that, that made them very like hero and villain. Whereas when I read Clarice, it was so different. It was like, Clarice is, you know, interesting to Hannibal. You know, but Hannibal doesn't really consider her an equal. He kind of manipulates her and thinks that she's just a fun toy to play with. You know, and in the book Hannibal, that becomes much more disturbingly literal. But, um, you know, like Will Graham wasn't like that. It was like Will Graham was because like, you know, from the movies with Anthony Hopkins and everything, you get this sense of like, man, Hannibal is this, you know, just this this great force that's so difficult to overcome. And he outsmarts everyone. And. You know, he's just so menacing. And yet, you know, then I, I go back, I look at this book, and I think, wow, Will Graham is this fascinating, complex character that actually had the ability to overcome Hannibal, even if it was, if it, it would have invo involved a little bit of luck, you know, he still pulled it off, you know. And so when this show got started, I was actually really into that. I was like, wow, you know, this expansion on Will Graham is so cool, you know, and it, it kind of, it actually kind of made me a little bit leery of the future. Like if we get to the science of the lambs, I was like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if the show will be able to be as good then, you know? So, so I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Uh, Cause I don't want to say like, Oh, it's better. It ends here, you know, cause obviously I want the show to keep going, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, specifically about this episode, uh, um, it was interesting seeing the way, well, talking about the Red Dragon arc, it was so interesting seeing the way that Hugh Dancy re, uh, sort of had to reinvent Will at the beginning of the Red Dragon storyline, because it's Will after meeting Hannibal, but having been away from him for three years, and now uh, he's got such a different relationship with him. And then seeing how it started in a way that for the audience is very unfamiliar. And then as we get got closer and closer to this climax, you see more and more of the will from the previous seasons, the previous story arcs, more and more of that sort of snarky uh, kind of slightly self-hating, but, clever it it was really interesting especially it, it's so interesting seeing the the way that that arc has played out because it's playing on the audience's expectations and sort of 
twisting it in a way that you don't get if you just read Red Dragon on its own or watch Red Dragon as a movie on its own because we have all this context. When Will starts to fall more under, more into, I don't want to say fall under Hannibal's spell necessarily, but when Will starts to slide more back into Hannibal's influence, it's on the one hand, uh, not good for him in the long run because Hannibal is evil, but from uh, an audience perspective, it, it feels more familiar. And so we're like, for me, at least it's like, even though I'm like, no, Will stay away from him. I'm like, there's that more visceral part of me. That's like, no, this is, this is the will that we know. This is the will. This is, is this the will that the way he's supposed to be, which is such <laughs> a subversive thing to do. And I just, Oh my gosh. Theo, did you have something? Hmm? No, not at the moment. I, I had something before when we were talking about the Red Dragon and uh, Silence books, but it's gone. Oh, well, no, I got it. Um, <clears throat> It's interesting, because you, you talk about Hannibal as a force. I was reading an article where they were going over all the adaptations of Red Dragon, where they talked briefly about Hannibal, they talked about the book, they talked about Manhunter, and they talked about uh, the Red Dragon movie. Um... And they actually were going into the scene where Hannibal's first introduced, because he's really not in the book that much. Um, and the scene where he's first introduced, though, everything is in past tense except Hannibal. Hannibal actually exists like outside of the time of that scene. It's really interesting. Because hmm. like they describe Will like going down into these dungeons and like going to confront Hannibal, and it's it's it is all in past tense. But all of Hannibal's description remains in present tense, and everything he does is in present tense in that scene. And it does, like, it gives this very odd sort of disquieting, uh, like, tenor to the whole scene just because, or timber, I think I want to say, uh, to the whole scene just because it, it's unsettling, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't quite line up as you're reading it. So I, I thought that was a very interesting stylistic choice on Harris's part to... Well, <clears throat> sorry. No, it's okay. Just to, like, remove Hannibal from the timeline there. Well, I mean, and then there's forward to a fatal interview, which kind of, like, permanently changed the way I look at the writing process in general. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, like, I, I remember uh, watching season one, and I just, this was complete luck. Um, I actually, at this point, you can, you know think what you want when I say this, but I actually owned four different publications of Red Dragon and gave one of them to a cousin, but I, I still have three, and only one of them has Forward to a Fatal Interview, and that happened to be the first one that I owned and the one that I read the first time, so I got lucky, and um, when I was watching season one, there were a, a bunch of moments that that referenced, that, that either directly quoted it or referenced it in some way, and um, it was really, really awesome and, um, kind of gave the, the show kind of a metaphysical quality where it was like, this show isn't just trying to adapt the events of these books. It's trying to capture the essence of, of what these books, you know, uh, explored philosophically and, mm -hmm. and things like that, you know, and that was, that was really neat. Um, but, so um, forward to a final interview being the forward where Harris talks about meeting the guy that inspired Lecter, correct? Uh, no, actually, it's more like Harris, um, 
explaining this is after he had already written the trilogy. Yeah. And Harris writes a foreword that explains like um what it was like when he was trying to write Red Dragon. And he paints this very uh uncomfortable picture of how he he felt like he felt like kind of a scribe, like he was tasked with scribbling down whatever he could as he was hearing it because he was actually kind of on like a like like on a, on a like you know buckled into a cart going down the rails and as things popped up he had to quickly describe them in his notebook before they went back down and the next thing came you know what i mean and and it, it just seemed like this very off-putting experience for him and he said like you know he dreaded going into the Baltimore hospital of the criminally insane and he was kind of trailing right behind Will Graham and you know and and it just kind of blurred these boundaries of what's real and what's not. And the way he described writing these books and then like he kept going forward past that into like silence of the lambs where he was like, I just felt like Hannibal had to come back. Like, I mean the next character I wanted to do was Clarice, but I felt like Hannibal was just gnawing at me. Like he had to be a part of the story and hmm. you know, and then the next book he was like Hannibal needed to be free. And then Clarice had to deal with it. And it was almost like he had this whole other story that he wanted to tell but Hannibal just intervened and was like, here I am, and now you have to deal with me and write a story that has me in it, you know, and wow. and then it's even it's even more disturbing when you realize that, you know, he was kind of forced into writing Hannibal Rising, but then after that he pretty much never wrote again, you know, and it's yeah. like he was, he was just that moved by this experience that, you know, so that, I, I think that just knowing that, you know, I, it's like, you know, these stories are already so powerful mm-hmm. just at their core, you know? So a show like this that, that gets so deep and so you know, so dark and emotional, it fits, you know? It fits with the true essence of what we're doing, so... Speaking of deep, dark, and emotional, how did you guys feel about the, uh, the gunshot before the opening credits? <laughs> oh... Well, I'll let Theo take this because I'm talking a lot. <laughs> no, it's fine. You can go on. <laughs> um, well, I I feel like part of me was really scared during the back half of this season because this was when we finally, like, even as far back as season one, I remember thinking, you know, any time now we're going to be treading on familiar ground. You know, there was already stuff that they kind of quoted early or they referenced early and I like they were really kind of anxious to get into Red Dragon material. I mean Brian Fuller said in the commentary on season one, like anytime I felt like I was getting too personal, I, I just went back to Red Dragon and found something and put that in the show. You know, mm-hmm. so it was pretty derivative, but I knew that like any minute now we're gonna be telling stuff that we've already told before. There's already Manhunter, there's already Red Dragon mm-hmm. and when we got into the Red Dragon stuff, um, I found myself getting pretty critical, and um, I felt like there are a few things that really helped me with that. I think that the way that they did characters, the events were familiar, and mm-hmm. in, a, in some ways, it was exactly what I feared. It was like the events weren't necessarily new. In fact, sometimes in some moments, they were. It was like. It was almost like Brian Fuller expected us to already know exactly what was going on because we've already 
read the book or seen one of the two movies and mm-hmm. you know so he didn't even bother to explain <laughs> but the characters were done in such a unique way that it kept me interested you know mm-hmm. um so when we got to that part with the gun i kind of i felt like it's way too disappointing and 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 it's not creative enough for him to actually shoot himself i'm like he doesn't in the book, he fakes everybody out, and in the movie, and I'm like, he's probably going to fake everyone out. Yeah. So that I kind of expected, mm-hmm. but I feel like it definitely was done differently than before, and it, it kind of worked. You know, like, it, it definitely wrapped up the whole Reba storyline well enough that I accepted it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, yeah, I, I was just surprised that it happened so soon. For whatever reason, I felt like there was going to be a little bit more of to like the Red Dragon story proper, per, like if that if you understand my meaning. Mm. And I thought that it, I wasn't expecting it to go outside of Baltimore the way it did, or outside of uh, wherever Dollar Hyde lived. <clears throat> um, so far outside, it, it, it was funny because I really wasn't sure. Well, I have things I want to say, but I want to see what you guys think first. Like Theo, uh, what did you what did you think of the pacing of the episode in terms of the way like we hit that part of the Red Dragon storyline, then we got this whole thing with uh, faking Hannibal's escape, which is not from any of the books. Uh, and then we got the ending, which is a remix of uh, the ending of Red Dragon and some other stuff. Well, it was a remix of Red Dragon with some very, very heavy notes from the end of Hannibal. Yes. Like the novel. But, um, yeah. Uh, it's see, it's interesting. I, it was paced a lot like most of the Red Dragon episodes we've seen this season, <clears throat> where like we have you know a couple scenes with these big, big, big events. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the the entire Red Dragon story was paced with, like, you know, just big, chunky, like, meaty scenes of, thing, of like, a couple events happening. It wasn't like, <clears throat> it wasn't like early this season where we had all these different, like, scenes cut together, interplaying off of each other, and, you know, more of a, more of even a tone poem than an actual straightforward story. Like, the Red Dragon was... The Red Dragon storyline has been pretty, you know, um, pretty straightforward for most of the run. So I, I, like, I don't know. I don't really have too many opinions on the pacing. Like, it, it matched what happened in the rest of the season. Um, I do agree with you that I was surprised that the whole Reba thing wrapped up that quickly because mm-hmm. I was expecting that final throwdown to be like in the burning house yeah. instead of being out at the, you know, murder villa. Yeah. Um. Well, that I think was trying to kind of push in there the um, that notion and see. This is just me. When when I was reading Hannibal the book, I remember thinking it was almost kind of Batman esque that Hannibal just had kind of a backup plan for anything. Like he had all these safe houses all over the place and these supplies and these money caches and you know. So like if he had to go on the run, he was always prepared and. Um, so when I saw the house, I didn't even question it for a second. I'm like, well, okay, that's canon. You know, Hannibal always has some place to go. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. I mean, I thought it was a little weird that 
the dragon like busted them out and then left and it almost seemed like he wanted them to chase him but then they kind of just went wherever they felt like going and then he's like okay i guess i'll find you and you know like that that got a little bit confusing mm-hmm. but um i don't know i mean it thematically it worked it's kind of like the same sort of dream logic that has guided yeah. the show so far well, and that was something I noticed. I, I just rewatched the episode before getting on to record, and I started to notice more of uh, that symmetry that the show is really good about. Like, the first episode of the, of the season, uh, we had Chilton visiting Alana while Alana was on the, that table, paralyzed, or recovering from uh, falling out a window. Uh and then this episode, we got Alana visiting Chilton while Chilton's in the oxygenated chamber or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, little visual things like that that I was like, I, I really appreciated on that symmetrical storytelling level. Well, let me let me go back for a minute. There's something I was going to say a while ago, but I didn't want to interrupt whoever was talking. Um, it's it's funny because there's actually a certain quality that I thought might have been lost on this part of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hear me out before jumping to conclusions. I actually think Hugh Dancy might have messed up a little bit because when the show first started, like back in season one, Will already portrayed himself as this damaged person that uses this ability but kind of already has seen a lot of shit and has already kind of he's kind of weathered you know like this wears on him mm-hmm. and and it was great i mean i ate it up everyone ate it up and it's great but the thing is you know when red dragon starts the whole one of the things that made will graham so interesting is that he retired he's young like he's that's the weird thing is that he's not old he just he 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 walked away from this life because he had lived it so hard, you know, like he did so much and and suffered so much that he just couldn't bear it anymore. So he already had that that weathered, you know, weariness. And with this season, you know, with the the fast forward a few years, I felt like Will Graham being kind of worn out and and kind of sick of all this was really kind of the same as what we were already used to, <laughs> you know, like I didn't really get a, a real, I didn't really get a sense. Like I, I didn't feel the weight of that, you know, like mm-hmm. the, the, you know, all the events of the first half of the season and how poorly it went and how dramatic and emotional it was. Like I felt like will kind of just was still just will, you know? Um, so in that way that kind of took away from it. For me, anyway. Um, but I feel like it kind of... Like, t- the last couple episodes of this season really kind of helped me get over that, though. Because mm-hmm. the emotional component came back. Because for the last, I don't know what, like, six episodes, Will was trying really hard to just steal himself and be like, you know... You know he, he doesn't feel anything for Hannibal, but it started to kind of melt away at the end, so... Yeah. Well, it, it, it's funny. I've talked about this several times on the podcast, but for me, and I think for a lot of people, it always takes a few episodes into a storyline arc before we're really on board. And I think I mentioned that in the context of Red Dragon. Like, 
uh, the first three episodes, I was like, wow, Hannibal is really just sort of like, he really is like a side character here. And that's almost disappointing. I was hoping for more Mads Mikkelsen doing stuff different from Anthony Hopkins and that having a bigger presence. And then we got friggin' uh, Dollar Hyde going after Will's family. And that, that whole episode was obviously where it was like, we are full throttle in here. And that's where I was like, okay, I'm definitely on board with this. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, in in response to what you were saying about, like, the whole weariness, since we, we'd already seen that before, and it, that, uh, it, so it, what, it, there wasn't as much weight to it here. I, I see where you're coming from. What struck me more was, like, I, I think I talked about this last episode, was when... It, Again, they start bringing back those visual callbacks to stuff from like the first season or so, where we have this imagery of Will uh, like seeing, oh, essentially seeing visions of nightmares in his waking world. Uh, and in this context, he doesn't have encephalitis, so it it's very much just him uh, trying to process everything going around on around him. I thought that was a, a cool way to call back and to bring back that intensity and also move even further forward with the uh, wheels becoming closer to Hannibal again storyline. So I, 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 I haven't read the book, so I, I don't know if I would have missed that element if I had the whole weariness thing. Mm. Mm. Um, moving on. <laughs> again like I, I've talked about this several times during the Red Dragon arc but there are certain scenes where I finally feel like I get them even though I've seen them in Manhunter and Red Dragon or one or the other um, and maybe I would have gotten them more if I had read the book but like that and they also clearly are repurposed there's different context for certain things now so maybe I got stuff from scenes that I wouldn't have gotten uh, because we didn't have the context of the previous two seasons. But the scene with Reba in the hospital bed, number one, really interesting the way that Routine Wesley delivered uh, the lines about, like, uh, I put my hand in it or whatever. Because I, I just kept thinking back to Emily Watson and Red Dragon just freaking the fuck out as she's running out of this burning house and being like, I put my hand yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, she, um, I think, was depicted as a very, uh, I think, a, a bit of a stronger character in that she kind of maintained her, you know, her composure and um, she was upset for her own sake, but wasn't like falling all to pieces, you yeah. know? Like, well, it's also um, very different contexts, the way those scenes were portrayed in the different. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, like, and, and I think that it's also important that they were done a little bit differently because it just, and it, it sets itself apart, mm-hmm. you know, and, oh, and also this is really random, but, um, I watch, I also rewatched the episode today, uh, shortly beforehand, and, mm-hmm. um, at one point I, I went up to go over across the room to the fridge to get something to drink and, I just heard uh, Armitage's voice as he was doing like his Red Dragon voice, 
And I don't know what it was that hit me, but I thought, you know, I bet if he wanted to, he could actually do a pretty good Michael Ironside impression. <laughs> <laughs> so he might be my new cast for Dark Side, but you know, we'll, ta- we'll table that conversation for another time. I think that's a different <laughs> um, but I mean, at least at least Reba ended up in good hands here. I mean, like she's talking to Will, and between like him and Alana, and now we have Reba. Like you'd think they could at least form some kind of like I have banged slash wanted to bang a dude who would fail a Voight comp test support group. Like <laughs> you know, there's some commiseration there. Yeah. Well, and that that was the thing that like they brought into the scene that I don't think was present in previous adaptations or in the book even was that whole thing of like, she has that line about how uh, like, this is really, really oversimplifying it. But she has that line about how like blind people attract guys with freaks on their backs and Uh will responds with not just blind people. I'm like, Oh dear. (laughs) Well, this show does a pretty good job of not being too on the nose and, and, you know, trying to maintain that sense of, you know, being kind of artistic and, mm-hmm. you know, but, um, or if it's going to be on the nose, it'll be through some kind of awesome quote, like Bedelia saying, like, you know, he who holds the devil, hold him well, and yeah. all that stuff. But, um, I was actually, there are moments, here's, let's, all right, let's, let's go here. Let's talk about Jack this season. Okay. Because in season two, I felt like Jack Crawford really started to evolve and become a character that I gave way more of a shit about. And, I mean, Lawrence Fishburne's a great actor. I think that if you, you give him the right, you know, the right setup, he'll deliver. Mm-hmm. And I think that his acting in season three was still just as good as ever. But it really just felt like the way it was written was like, we don't really care that much about Jack anymore. And that bothered me for several reasons, but I feel like it kind of came full circle when in this episode, it was almost like there should be a whole other episode <laughs> that <laughs> is told from Jack's perspective <laughs> because there was clearly stuff going on. Like he's hearing Will talk and I know mm-hmm. that this version of Jack, like, like, I know he's not stupid. I know he's sitting there thinking, like, I think I know what's going on, and I think I know, you know, but, like, nothing's really happening, and it just kind of seems like he's just kind of along for the ride. And and then what killed me is, like, when Will and Jack and Alana, who at this point are really kind of not that friendly anymore, and it's not like the old days, but yeah. they're, they're all in Jack's office like old times, which felt kind of weird, and... And they're having a drink, and they're, like, discussing their evil plot, like, while rubbing their hands and, like, going... <laughs> Vic, I don't know if and, you saw this. Really quick aside, but on tw- you'll you'll appreciate this. On Twitter, I was like, this whole scene gives me that the curtain falls, his reign will end vibe. And yeah, that did well, not work out well. <laughs> yeah, and well, and then what killed me is I'm like, this is awkward. Like, I feel like this would be really awkward if these were real people. And then oh, like, yeah. <laughs> and then Will's like, you know, well, like, and they're doing the whole like hint at what we're doing, but not say it. And then Jack's just like, yeah. And then, um, well, and then we're gonna kill uh, Dollarhide and uh, 
and then we're going to kill Hannibal. <laughs> I'm like, people don't say that. This this just completely, like, broke through. Like, you know, like, that's that's not... Yeah. Well, there's, know, that... there's a few things that I could chalk that up to. One of them is the fact that, like, between Season 2 and Season 3, uh, Lawrence Fishburne started doing Blackish, and that was one of the things that came up in interviews was uh, how they didn't know how much they were going to be able to have Lawrence Fishburne between the two shooting schedules. And so that was that may have been part of the reason why his character at certain points in the season maybe wasn't as well served, forgive the pun, as other characters <laughs> on this show. Uh, then again, they did a really great job with his the resolution of the, that whole storyline with Bella. And that was really powerful. And uh, so we we did get that. I thought as as much as I agree with you that in the Red Dragon storyline, Jack sort of just became a side character and wasn't as much of a central character as he was in previous seasons. And that is disappointing. He did get that moment in the first half of the season where he had those really powerful moments with Bella and that whole storyline. Yeah. Well, I, I think in the first half of the season, it wasn't bad. Yeah. It was more this half where, like, like in Red Dragon, it, it was a really important scene where Jack, you know, goes and finds Will and, mm-hmm. you know, and coerces him into, you know, like, okay, look, you know, I need you to do this for me. And, you know, and it just kind of felt rushed. Every scene with Jack felt rushed and dismissed. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we're not going to really care that much about about jack but like i don't know it just because this show really made me care about jack more than i ever did in any of the movies or or anything Mm -hmm. you know so it just kind of sucked but like i said that scene was really when i just was pissed like you know because it's like it was i mean it was a great episode because it was the finale you know i'm like Mm -hmm. it was well done but and then like you know jack is investigating like the aftermath of the breakout and i'm like like Okay, the first time I watched this episode was actually with my dad, who's, you know, an ex-cop and everything. And, mm-hmm. and he's watching this, and the Red Dragon starts shooting all the cops, and he's like, okay, so no matter what kind of deal he made, Will's going to jail. You know, like, this was <laughs> clearly, like, really, like, Will yeah. cannot, he cannot talk his way out of this. This went, this is a complete mess. Cops are dying, you know, like, Will's going to jail. So, like, Jack investigating this should have, I think, been a little bit more of a thing, you know, like, he, because he clearly suspected there was something going on, you know, so at this point, Will can't just walk, he can't just come back from this, mm-hmm. so, I mean, like, there's that whole thing about how, oh, there were two place settings at the table with Bedelia, I feel like Will, at this point, needs to pretty much go back to where he was in season two, where it's like, you need to either just completely join Hannibal or die, you know, like, cause you can't just go back, you know, you're going to be, you're just going to go right back to the mm-hmm. Baltimore state hospital. So, you know, um, well, so. yeah. And you, you bring up the spe- specifically Jack investigating the whole thing with the fake breakout turning into a real breakout. And, uh, I actually, they, one of the things that has been pr- present which is this is going to sound this is kind of oxymoronic uh one of the things that has sort of been present 
throughout this Red Dragon arc has been how distant Jack really is. Uh-huh. And uh, that sort of... And I, I don't... It, like, you could say that, okay, maybe they just... They were so focused on the Will, Dollarhide, Hannibal storyline that they didn't feel like they could spend a whole lot of time working on Jack as a character. But I also think that that may have been intentional in, in terms of the distance factor, because Will told Will tells Jack in like in season four or not not season four and I'm my brain is like oh there's totally gonna be a season four. Will told Jack in episode four of this season that he wanted to run away with Hannibal, and then right. And so that is a huge moment of betrayal. I, I I don't know if betrayal is the right word, but that yeah, it's a huge moment of just shock. That's got to be shocking for Jack to to learn. And I think from then on out, even though he does go to Italy to bring Will back, their relationship can never be the same. And uh, so I and I think. Then after Hannibal is incarcerated and they have that three gap period and Will doesn't want anything to do with the FBI. He just wants to live in his cabin in the woods with his family. That distance between them is only going to grow and Jack's only going to, all Jack's going to be, uh, going to be going on in his head is just like, well, he wanted to run off with Hannibal and, uh, well, fuck. And he doesn't want anything to do with me anymore, so I... I guess... It, like, I'm oversimplifying it, but it's like, I guess but we're like, not friends well, anymore. <laughs> but that kind of that kind of goes to what I said, where it's like, we already exhausted that material, and it's just too difficult to revisit it, so we keep it at yeah. arm's length. Mm-hmm. You know, like, in Season 2, we already had Jack, conf- you know, with that conflict of, well, he's my friend, and I care about him, but I think he's a killer, and I don't think he's who I think he was, so I don't really know what to think, and I... I need to maintain my integrity and all that already happened and was already explored. It's been, it's been done. So when we got to this where it's like, because that was a neat twist in season two where we saw that Jack actually chose to trust Will and to go in with him on this thing Mm -hmm. that paid off in a, in a big way. It was actually a pretty effective twist. And we assume that like in this season, they're still on the same side and they kind of are, but then with the whole red dragon thing, it was like, Jack doesn't know anything about will anymore, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, it's almost like, why did he even ask him? You know, it's <laughs> like after what happened in season two, I feel like will would be more of a liability than anything. Well, you know? Jack, Jack even seems a little begrudging when he first asks will to do it. He like, again, like you said, we've exhausted the sort of friendship material that in that we got in season one. And so at this point it's like, well, you're the best person I got for this, so I want you to do it, and uh, uh, you're going to do it because I know how to manipulate you. Like, they, look, there's even we less... need you. <laughs> we need you to be super Mister FBI special guy because uh, the writer of this series can't come up with a cooler character. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. No, no, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it just bothers me that like. Because it seems like Harris kind of came up with this neat format where Jack Crawford is this really dynamic, wise, old guru of a character who sees this potential in 
young FBI cadets or, or agents and, and uses their special abilities to expedite the process of, of tracking down and incarcerating dangerous criminals. Mm-hmm. And that's a neat format. But it's it like I said, it's like an interview to a fatal interview, or I'm sorry, forward to a fatal interview. Harris makes it seem like it doesn't matter what he had planned. Hannibal kind of took over. Um, but like, I see like okay, so Jack saw this this quirky guy and and made him a special agent and used his abilities until the Red Dragon cut up his face and he went off and became an alcoholic in Florida. And then he saw this young cadet. Starling and saw great potential and used her and you know what I mean? And it's like, that's a, a, that's a format that I can buy into and and understand. But I feel like after what happened, you know, with Will Graham, like it's, it's hard to believe that he would still be going to Will Graham, (laughs) you know, like I, I, I feel like mid season, we should have started overlapping with silence, you know, like we, Jack should have started using someone else and hmm. maybe, maybe it didn't go so well. So Jack got desperate and went to Will and was like, I tried using someone else, but you're the only one I know that can do this. And, you know, that would have been a neat little way of making us a little bit more understanding of him going to Will again. Yeah. It's just at, at, at that point, it's just plot economy because they only had so much time to do it. And we can argue about whether or not they should have made Red Dragon a whole season or just half a season, but at this point, it's kind of moot. Um, yeah, well, because well, it's funny. It, it, I'm sorry, go ahead. To, to go back to something you were saying, though, I think that is something that they could... Uh, that I think would be uh, a smart thing for them to explore if they get, did get to the Silence of the Lamb storyline, is to explore Jack's character more. Uh because the Hannibal Clarice thing is would be so very different in the context of everything that's happened with Will, it would behoove them to uh, look at the Jack Crawford character and his relationship with Clarice, and really, I, I think it would be really cool for them to to explore that and make that have an even more uh, make that be even in a, an even more primary storyline of the Signs of the Lambs story than in, like, the movie um, as a way to set it apart from the movie. Well, the movie, there seemed to be pretty much no connection between Crawford and Hannibal. You know, like, yeah. they knew who each other was, but they didn't have an actual relationship, you know? And that's what I thought was so cool about the show is that, like, okay, here's something that... I was watching the finale a second time tonight, and um, I really started to to think about how, you know, the incarcerated Hannibal is the Hannibal we all know and love. You know, that's the Hannibal we want to see. That's the Hannibal that freaks us out. That's the one that makes us think. And this whole show completely erased that from my mind, you know, where it's like when I think of Hannibal now, I think about Mads Mikkelsen and his study just, you know, messing with you and being all awesome, you know. So it's like... You know, to see Mads Mikkelsen's Hannibal incarcerated was like a really weird, like, mashup of all the Hannibals I've ever perceived, mm-hmm. you know. But what was neat is, I think, again, kind of the same way, like, like when the show started, it's like, oh, how do you portray Hannibal after Anthony Hopkins? It's like, well, how do you portray the incarcerated Hannibal? 
you know, when that's just been done so freaking well. Mads did a pretty good job of showing us, you know, here's Hannibal, after all we've seen him do for two and a half seasons, incarcerated, and it's like he's still the exact same person, but with just a little bit less restraint. You know, like, he'll he'll say things that maybe he wouldn't have let slip while he was free, and it's got this neat, menacing quality that adds just the right amount, you know, of creepiness that it's like, he's still the Hannibal that we've grown to love over two and a half seasons, but he's got a little bit of a, a more of an evolution towards the one that we've seen in the movies, um... So that's pretty cool. I, I, I did enjoy that about this because um, it's different. You know, it's yeah. like I said, it's like these are things we've seen before, but they've been made kind of fresh. Um, well, I think one of the biggest things that sets it. Well, I think the biggest thing that sets it, his incarcerated Hannibal apart from Anthony Hopkins is is <laughs> that was a lot of his is um, is the whole lover scorned aspect of aspect of it because those were the moments in Mads Mikkelsen's performance. At, like, and I think I sort of alluded to this in previous discussions on the podcast. Those were the moments where I actually was more engaged in Mads Mikkelsen's performance while he was behind the glass. With those moments where he's like, "Oh, was it good to see me?" Will stuff like that, where it it steps away from the book portrayal and the material that we're recycling from previous adaptations and it's just like hey you and i had this thing going on what about that (laughs) (laughs) well hey well that's that's something i i want to say at least once for the record is um i was i i was i was pretty upset because and this is just me being me um when i saw the movie red dragon I don't know if it's in Manhunter. It might be, but um, I, I loved this in the movie. I loved the way that Anthony Hopkins said this line. And then when I read the book, this moment, not not to be too dramatic, but it, it really moved me. I thought it was a very fascinating philosophical line that just really showed how Hannibal is somebody that has been imprisoned and deemed you know, psychotic and unfit for living in you know, regular society. And... and the, the rational part of you thinks, well, of course, I mean, he eats people, that's crazy. But then he says things like this, and it kind of makes you think, you know, and it, I'm talking about when he's writing a letter to Will, and it's towards the end of Red Dragon, and he says, you know, it says it's a primitive time that we live in, Will. Uh, any rational society would either kill me or put me to good use, but instead they keep me here, you know, and that's so profound like wow you know like that really makes you think you know it makes you question things about Hannibal and about us you know and um I like that line a lot and in this episode I was mm, I was kind of annoyed at at how offhandedly that line got kind of shoehorned into the scene with Hannibal and Alana yeah you know uh, where she's offering him a deal and he's just like any rational society would kill me or give me my books back I'm like, that is so much less of a payoff than the original line, <laughs> you know? So, I don't know. But, I mean, at least some version of the line made it in there. Well, I'm not, I don't know. All right, so I've been dancing around this topic in my head, but I might as well put it out there now. Uh, 
I was actually not sure how to feel about this episode uh, immediately after watching it. I saw everyone on Twitter being like, oh, that was amazing. Oh, the feels. Oh, that that was satisfying and stuff. And I, for a good amount of time, wasn't sure if I liked it. Well, um, here's, okay, here's here's my response to that. I don't, when I first saw it, it's funny because... I didn't think of it in terms of did I like it. My reaction to it is wh- what made me okay with the episode. Because, like, there were... Okay, the season two finale, I I am not even embarrassed to say this. I was pretty much on the floor flailing, like, uh, <laughs> you know... I, I, was, I was a mess. I was like, oh my god, I can't even handle what just happened. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what else... was like that. Yeah. Oh, and also, I think it was a pretty cute little wink to the season two finale that during the season three finale, Hannibal's like, I believe they call that a mic drop. You drop the mic, Will. And I'm like, haha, because that's what he did last week. No, but anyway, um, so, like, I watched this episode, and it just, like, this this was a frustrating season, and there were things I, I didn't know how to feel, and, but... I feel like so much paid off. Like there were so many satisfying moments. I'm not saying there were the right moments or that they were the perfect moments, but there were moments that gave me a sense of satisfaction, you know, and, and excited me, you know, like it was controversial enough that I was like, Oh man, that's, that's crazy. You know, like, you know, like Will and Hannibal teaming up to kill the dragon and then embracing in a, a very, uncomfortable yet intriguing sexual moment, you know, like, you know, and I'm like, whoa, that's, whoa, you know, and then, like, I had one of those moments where, like, he starts tipping over, and I actually stood up from where I was sitting and was like, oh, man, you know, and then they're falling over, you know, so it's like, well, whether or not I thought that I really liked what was happening, it at least got me really excited, you know, Mm -hmm. so I I, kind of count that as, I count that as a good finale, Mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, and I read a few things online about how people are like, hey, you know, if that ends up being the series finale, I mean, it, there are worse series finales. <laughs> like, there yeah. are, there are much worse series yes. finales. Yes. <laughs> so, what, yeah, what were your thoughts about the finale? Uh, this, yeah, this finale, Fio? I, I found it really satisfying. Like, you know, if this, if this does end up being the series finale, I think this is a perfectly fine place to leave it off. Mm-hmm. You know, I am, I do feel bad for Will, you know, where mm-hmm. he's at the point where he feels so corrupted by Hannibal that his only choice is basically to take his own life along with Hannibal's. <laughs> but, you know, I, I do feel like if you're, if they're gonna end it somewhere, this is definitely as good a place as any. Mm-hmm. Um, I got we got an original uh Suzy Sue uh single out of it, so that's cool. That was pretty awesome. Um <laughs> and the that just gorgeous fucking blood soaked murder ballet at the end. <laughs> yes. Like it was it was just choreographed really well. Like, you know, if if they were gonna send out send off this show, that was a hell of a way to do it. Mm-hmm. Like you know, I was kind of there was stuff going through the episode that I was kind of like, eh, back and forth, I'm not sure how to feel. Mm-hmm. But 
basically everything in the murder villa. I was just like, <laughs> all right, I am on, I am on the train that you just pulled into the station here, Fuller. I'm, I'm, I'm along for the ride. I bought a ticket and I'm, let's go. Like, <laughs> whereas me, I felt I, like I was left uh, back, left on the platform watching the tra- mm-hmm. train fly. I was like, wait, wait, we're going. That's not the way we're, that's where we're going. <laughs> How long can we keep this metaphor in the air? Oh, we can get, <laughs> dude, this is a show about Hannibal. <laughs> we can keep this going for an entire year. Oh, by the way, um, I just decided to glance over at uh, Janice Boone's blog for this episode, which I, I haven't read yet. And um, when she's addressing the two guest chairs at Bedelia's dining table at the end, uh, which, you know, seems to pretty much just kind of confirm like, yeah, they're both alive. And Brian Fuller has a really bad habit of being really spoilery when he answers questions about the show, you know, but mm-hmm. like, but like he already pretty much said like oh well season four would have been all about like Hannibal and Will and like what happened next I'm like okay so you, okay so so they survived so you just ruined it thanks well honestly but, uh, Vic Vic well no I love no, you but come on really <laughs> no no like I'm not saying like I don't want them to survive I'm just saying like I don't know like leave some sort of mystery the anyway, show look. is called Hannibal. <laughs> You're you're missing the point. Like I know Hannibal survived, but it was more like Will because mm-hmm. Will's story ends there in the book. So I actually would completely accept that this character died. Mm-hmm. But um, but anyway, so Janice Poon is mentioning the two places at the dinner table, and she's just like, you know, oh, so who else is it? Well, wouldn't it be great if uh, it was actually her meeting the in-laws, Uncle Bowie and Lady Murasaki? Oh, dude. <laughs> That would have been fantastic. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think Fuller mentioned that in an interview too. And then um, she's, and then she's like, maybe Will is dead, or had, or he's been saved by Jack, who was hovering in a nearby helicopter because he was in on it the whole time. So Will's in the hospital, or is he back with Molly, giving it one more try? <laughs> like, okay, so that that sort of brings me back to allow allow me to paint a picture for a moment. Like, stand on a platform, I guess, and give, give my, I don't know what I want to call this, uh, treatise? I don't know. That seems way too dramatic. Anyway, I'll just launch into it. I, like, throughout this whole episode, I wasn't sure, I think it's, it's definitely possible I went into the episode with, uh, with too many expectations, like, expecting the, the whole showdown between Hannibal and Will and Dollar Hyde to happen at Dollar Hyde's house. But like, since we got through the Dollar Hyde Rebus stuff so quickly and it seemed like we were just like, obviously Dollar Hyde was still alive. So it wasn't like we had completely finished the Red Dragon storyline, but since it felt like we had moved beyond the book, I really wasn't sure where, like I was, part of me was like, I don't know why we're doing this i i guess i'm on board and then from the moment hannibal gets shot by dollar hide and like the wine glass the wine bottle shatters and everything i just like i took a step back and i was just like this is going off the fucking wall i was not expecting well, I think, this <laughs> well like i that was a moment where things started going into like a discomfort zone where it's like oh geez characters are at risk, I don't know what's going to happen, and I'm uncomfortable, you know, like, 
Like, I immediately think, again, about that Futurama episode where it's like, no, surprises make audiences feel scared. (laughs) But, um... Yeah. But, um... And then... But it... Well, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, and and that's the thing. I I don't want to be like, oh, things are different than they are before. No, because I've been... Like, we have a... 80-something uh, episodes of podcasts to prove that I am all for taking risks and doing your own thing creatively. But this was the first time where I was like, it, like, it was weird. So I, I mentioned this to Theo in text, but suddenly like this book purist flared up into me, in me and I haven't even read the fucking books. And I was like, <laughs> this is not the way it's supposed to happen. I thought like... Um, well, but, um, <laughs> but like, okay, but what really made that scene, what re- I don't know why, but what really kind of comforted, what comforted me then is like, you know, Hannibal got shot and he's on the floor and the dragon comes in and, and Will is just like, well, I don't know what else to fucking do. So he just like sips his wine glass casually. <laughs> and I'm just like. Yeah, you know what, Will? I'm with you, man. Casual sip. Let's see what happens next. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then, like, I- I'm trying to retrace my thought process during that last scene because there's the moment Hannibal gets shot where I'm like, oh, this is, this is, I was not expecting this at all. Where I, I wasn't, like, off board, if that's a term, but I was like, this is, what the, what's going to happen now? And then, for some reason, the moment the Susie Sue song started, I just started yeah. laughing. I was like, it, al- it almost <laughs> felt like a moment from like an old mobster film. Well, in a way, it's <laughs> in, in a way like the way that the villa, was, the architecture of the villa, and the combination of that song reminded me of the end of Manhunter with Inagata De Vida and that whole thing. I think that uh-huh. was a purposeful callback. Can we, can we just, just, just for a second? acknowledge how incredible it was like how giddy and like how much fun Hannibal was having when he got out of the van <laughs> he's like oh my no, gosh well, you know well you worry too much <laughs> yes going my way and I'm like that guy is having the time of his life well, right now. <laughs> and I mentioned on Twitter, <laughs> this I is fuck- Hannibal's best day ever <laughs> <laughs> And I fucking loved the expression on Will's face when Hannibal says, going my way, because that was... Like, the only way Hannibal's day could have gotten any better is if fire literally started raining from the sky in the apocalypse. (laughs) Like, like... the moment I saw Will's face, I was like, well, Lecterings has another uh, uh, snapshot to use for her uh, cheesy uh, Hannibal joke series. (laughs) Um... (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, then going back to the last scene, they have that whole fight scene, and it's over the course of that I realize, oh, this is Brian Fuller's love fanfic. That's what's going on right now. <laughs> why? Why am I surprised by this? And who then, was it? Who was it? Three weeks. Three. I retweeted the like sent an at to Brian Fuller like, yo, what's your Ao3 account name? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> and then they go, like, they step away, Gollarhide's dead, and uh, they're standing at the side of the cliff, and even before they embraced, I'm like, 
I know, like, you said you were surprised, Vic. I knew exactly what was going to fucking happen. I'm like, they're going over that cliff. <laughs> and Will has this moment with Hannibal, and it's, and he's like, it's I think, beautiful. I think I was, I think I was only surprised because I was just so focused on the inevitability of them making out. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was so ready. Like, I, it wasn't just, no, it's not even readiness. Like, I, I was just completely convinced that that was what I was about to see happen. And I was like, just completely engrossed in that moment. I'm like, kiss, 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 kiss. And then it was like, oh shit, they're, oh geez, no, this isn't what I expected. (laughs) Well, it's like, there's that great post on Tumblr. If I can find it, I'll link it where from when Mitsumono aired, there's a moment someone took snapshots of Picard on Star Trek Next Generation as if he's watching Mitsumono. And it's the moment where Hannibal is, like, caressing Will's face. And it cuts to Picard, and he's just like, oh, they're totally about to do it. They're about to make out. Oh, my God, he fucking stabbed him. <laughs> and it's like that with this. It's like, oh, because... That okay again. Falling... I mean, I, I take I take solace in my head canon of them making out all the way down. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and someone that's point... that's when Inagata Davida started playing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> someone pointed out that like I can't remember who it was. If it was someone actually on the team or someone just speculating, but someone was like, "Did anyone else feel like when they're having the wine, it Will and Hannibal just had sex?" <laughs> Oh, well, dude, well, okay, all right, well, here's the thing, I was, the first time I watched it, I was with my dad, and I'm, you know, I'm obviously not as open with my comments or opinions while I'm watching with my dad, but I'm sitting there, and we, we had been quiet for, like, a while, like, we're just watching, we're just taking it all in, you know, there's a lot, lot going on in the finale, and, uh, you know, they're in the house, and, Hannibal, now, this may seem like a small detail, but I can only think of pretty much, like, one other scene where Hannibal is doing his whole fancy, like, wine-drinking thing and not wearing, like, a tie. Mm. And it was when he was having breakfast with Jack the one time, like, first thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the time, he's dressed up. So the fact that Hannibal was in, like, just, like, a, a regular shirt and a yeah. jacket, I was like, I'm sitting there... And, like, I'm watching, and, like I said, me, me and my dad are sitting there. It's totally quiet, and there's not a whole lot going on in the scene. And I'm just like, are, are they going to do it? <laughs> <laughs> it is, it's like, so fucking date night. It is so yeah, no, I'm like, I'm like, well, like Will's funny, I'm wearing, like, Will's actually wearing, like, a nice button-down, like, crisp with the sleeves rolled up. He's wearing fitted pants. Hannibal's, like, dressed down. He's just wearing a sweater with, like, the suit coat over top. Probably still cost $5,000. Um, that, that was that was somebody's comment on the scene. I was like, yes, agreed. But, like, it is so fucking date night when that happens. And I, I'm, well, like, and... so, I'm, I'm so ready for it. I'm like, are you going to do it? Because, I mean, like, yeah. I mean, I don't really want to see him do it, but I won't be surprised <laughs> if I see them do it. Like, well, And it's even better because... <laughs> Them being stalked by some killer is totally what they would consider date night. <laughs> well, that's what Hannibal basically says. He's like, "This, this is this is exactly what I wanted." <laughs> yeah, and then like, and, okay. Following again the progression of my thoughts during the last ten minutes of this episode, 
they get to that moment where they're they're like in each other's arms and uh, it's like a friggin romance novel cover like there's that one shot you you know what shot i'm talking about yeah yeah just looking yes, off, I... and he's like he's petting will's head and again i had that weird moment where people who listen to this podcast know i have the uh, Never had, I like, if you're a Hanagram shipper, that's great. But I have always been opposed to it just because Hannibal is the devil. But I had one of those moments where I was like, oh, my gosh, they love each other. Oh, my gosh, they're already <laughs> over. <laughs> I told you I was, like, so wrapped up in that moment that I didn't see the obvious thing happening. <laughs> I was like, oh, man, what are they going to show? What kind of weird feelings is Brian Fuller going to give me? Like, <laughs> then... It's oh, like, yeah. oh, geez. Well, and it's funny because Brian Fuller said that in an interview where someone was like, so do you think Hannibal was, like, surprised by Will pulling him off the cliff? And he just was like, well, I I'm sure at first there was some shock, but I'm pretty sure, like, within a second of it happening, Hannibal was like, of course Will's doing this. Yes. <laughs> yeah, like, well, that's how I felt. Like, I, I, I think on a subliminal level, I, I had this anticipation of what was going to happen. And then they go over the edge and I just, I, I did, I barked out a laugh because I was just like, and I had my hands out like, well, there you go. <laughs> just to cap it off. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, that, that whole, like, I, I just, there was, I just had this visceral feeling of this is off the fucking rails. Not necessarily good, not necessarily <laughs> bad, just Wow. And like Brian Fuller himself even said, this this show has basically been my fanfic. And for better or for worse, I think though that part of the, specifically those last ten minutes is where he just let it go full fanfic. <laughs> and it because that is also the moment where it most it, more than any other moment in the series, it broke book. It went off book from oh, yeah. the established well, storyline set up by the novels and the movies. Because, like, that... I mean, okay, the um, the season one finale... Um, oh, jeez, I'm so caught up now. And The season one finale was uh, Will being incarcerated, and that actually kind of had some bearing in the book because mm -hmm. it was canon that... Will had a breakdown and had to go to the hospital for a while. And and it was just kind of a neat twist, though, from what we were expecting to happen. And then in season two, it was like, that was the moment. That was like, this is when Will catches Hannibal. And that's what everyone expected to happen. And it got completely flipped on its head, you know. So that was like, wow, that's crazy. But it still had so much that was in line with the book, like Will getting the like getting basically gutted across the belly and yeah. you know a lot of it was like I like I was there were things I was expecting to see and some of them I did actually see this one it was like bets are pretty much off it's like you know there are some things that are kind of in line with the book but at this point actually I think Ian remind me didn't we kind of talk about this the last time you and I were on the podcast where it's like you're, you can start something based off of something, but once you get a certain distance away from it, it's kind of impossible for it to be really true to the original source material. Like it's too, it's too much of its own thing now. You know, it's like it can't really be that close because mm. it's just it's it's grown too much on its own. It has too much of its own life. 
I, that, I don't remember if we had that conversation, but I'm board. I'm bo- I'm on board with you. <laughs> yeah, well, because like I I know I had that conversation with somebody, and that that kind of is what I feel like in this season is like this was like if you picture like the books being just a straight line, and the first season kind of just hovering a little bit above or below that line, and season two it hovered a little bit further above and below, and this season it's like okay, every now and then we'll intersect with the book. But for the most part, the arc of this season really just wavered far above and below where where that line is for the book. So it's like we're loosely basing things on the source material. But at this point, the show has organically become something of its own. Yeah. You know, so this season finale, it was like it's kind of really difficult to predict mm-hmm. what exactly is going to happen because we're kind of on our own territory. Now. Although we did get a, just out of necessity's sake, I, I suppose because that's what they were adapting. We did get a lot of the Red Dragon storyline. It remixed a little bit, but we did hit most of the major plot points. And so that may have been part of the shock for me to see it just go so far from it. Well, and if you think about it, though, most of those things that were really true to the book or whatever were things that were isolated and happening on their own, like like away from Will Graham and Hannibal. Mm-hmm. Because when they intersected with Will and Hannibal, that's when things started becoming different, mm-hmm. you know, because they were already set in motion. But like this, you know, like his backstory, we can kind of assume based on context clues is pretty much the same as the books. And the stuff that he did on his own away from everybody was pretty close. Um, but when he was interacting with Hannibal, when he was interacting with Will, that's when things just kind of really took a left turn and they were different from the book because, you know, it's like you're introducing the book material to a world that's not like the book. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. Well, and so talking specifically about the ending of the book, since that's sort of was was being adapted uh, very loosely here in this episode, we did get, as we suspected, uh, we did get Will getting his face gouged open. Not the way that, yeah. not the way that I was expecting, but it, like it, it, Dollar Hyde looked like he essentially gave Will a Glasgow smile, at least on one side of his face. It looked pretty nasty. I mean, I, I, I went into this episode pretty much expecting Will to die, and mm-hmm. I was getting into a discussion with my dad about this. He's like, "Why are you so convinced?" I was like, "Cause, well, cause look." You know, in the books, it's not even like, like, Will's character arc came to a complete close. It was like, after Red Dragon, it was like, he got cut up by the dragon, but like, you know, like, and he, he went to Florida, he became an alcoholic, and it was like, no one ever heard from him again. He got mentioned once in the next book, just so that the readers could know, like, he's done, he's not coming back, there are no more stories for Will Graham. I was like, so there's no more source material, nothing. There's nothing to even loosely base him on. So I said, based on how this show's going, I kind of, I don't know. I think that this is pretty much Will Graham's finale. I think that somehow this character is going to be just exhausted in this finale. And um, that was just, I don't know, like I could have been 100% wrong. But that's just how I felt going into the finale is like Will Graham – because he even said, like, I don't think I can save myself and maybe that's just fine. And, you know, and it's like after what we've seen him go through, it's like, man, it's really going to be tough for him to kind of come back from this. And, you know, and like I said with Jack, where it's like he's 
he's going to jail. You know, like, cops died because of him. You know, it's like, I, after all he did before, and, you know, so I just felt like, you know, if I was Brian Fuller, I wouldn't rule out, you know, Will dying here. Yeah. So, um, but, like, him getting his face cut up, I was like, well, of course that's going to happen, but I just didn't know how bad. Yeah. Like, when, when he ambushed him in that hotel room, part of me was actually really scared in yeah, that it might happen I was, I was like, oh, geez, he's going to just cut his face off right here. I was like, oh, geez. But, um, but yeah. Yeah, and that uh, – so the, the last thing uh, – the last reason that I wasn't sure how to feel about the ending, having watched it again, I ended up thinking more about I, – I, I'll, I'll get into reasons why I'm okay with it after, but – the other thing that was kind of disappointing for me was, again, I haven't read the book, but we, when Cleo was on to talk about the movie Red Dragon, she read the last paragraph, essentially, of the book, as far as I can tell. And it, since then, I've actually thought a lot more about what we discussed on that episode and the Red Dragon storyline in general. And uh, even though, again, I, I'm speaking... I... I I can't believe people should be like mad at me for having the audacity to talk about the Red Dragon story this way since I haven't read the book. But you bastard. <laughs> but uh knowing how that book ends and having heard that the way that it ends and uh uh seeing that arc and the way that it ties into the show, part of me what is kind of disappointed and we might get it sometime in the future. I can't see us getting it this the way that it was in the book, but I was kind of disappointed that we didn't get that uh, that sort of uh, <laughs> that sort of tragic ending for Will, or not necessarily tragic, but that ambiguous thing where and it's like I, I, this is it's so weird for me to be talking like this because I really I really try not to be like a literature snob or anything like this, but the ending, the way it sounds, in, from what I know of the book, it sounds like a very literary ending. Well, and I the, actually really do like that ending, so that was well, one of the things the, I was disappointed by when watching this episode. Well, in the book, Will actually, at the end, is in full control of himself. Yeah. And he, he uses, just like back earlier in the show, uh, Will uses his empath abilities as a weapon. And, um, you know, Dollarhide has his kid and he, he immediately just taps into Dollarhide's psychological weaknesses and goes, you know, you know, like you, you filthy little boy, you hair lip, you know, ugly little, you know, and, and he starts just antagonizing at his very core of his psyche, you know, and it works, you know, it, it sets him off balance and it gives Will the ability to save his kid and then to wrestle with him and, I mean, he gets hurt, but I mean, ultimately he won because he, like I said, you know, he used his abilities as, as an effective weapon and, you know, he, he was, he was a strong character, you know, whereas pretty much throughout all three seasons, Will is this character who is kind of like, I can't think of a good parallel, but he's this character that has this tremendous power, this tremendous ability that, you know, that, that no one else has, but but he's still human. He's very flawed and he's, he's not always great at directing it or controlling it. He's, you know, like, so 
it's like it's kind of a toss-up whether he'll use that ability for great good, which is what he wants, or or if he'll end up just kind of getting hurt by it himself. You know, um, which I think is, I think makes for a more interesting character. But as far as taking down the dragon, we didn't get to see Will mentally overpower the dragon like he did in the book. You know, um, it was more of him, I mean, it was him teaming up with Hannibal, which I mean, yes. was, was awesome, but, <laughs> but certainly a deviation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it, it's been a really, uh, there are a few times where I'm, com- where I have a reaction to uh, something and I'm completely baffled by my own reaction. Um, and at least this time it wasn't as, like, core-shakingly weird as it was... I'm thinking the last time something like this happened where I was just like, I really wasn't sure how I felt about how something played out was the Into the Woods movie and the way that they adapted that, but now I've gotten over it. I'm not happy with the way that they reworked that story for the movie, but I was still... It was still a very well-done movie. Um, But that's a whole other story entirely. Um, (laughs) When it comes to this, I... uh, once I, again, once I sort of came to terms with, like, this is, because like, another thing that crossed my mind is, like, is this what Cleo felt like when she discovered, when she read the end of Hannibal and uh, Clarice had that whole thing with Hannibal go on? And, like, she's talked about on the podcast before about how that sort of felt like a betrayal of the character. The biggest difference between that and this is, Brian Fuller from the very beginning has just been like, or like more and more since the beginning has been like laying the groundwork for Will and Hannibal being together. So uh, it would it like I started to recognize no if this this is this is where they were that Brian I think Brian Fuller he may have not in the writing like the first episode of Hannibal he may not have seen this coming because he talked about like it's changed a lot since then but. Over the course of the series, I think that's part of the reason why, like, okay, they flew over the edge, but I I would expect them to come back if they had another season. Because Brian Fuller has become so invested in the relationship between Will and Hannibal, and uh, uh, the actors have completely thrown themselves into the characters, and the chemistry is too good to just throw them away after the Red Dragon storyline is done. Um, and I don't know if you've seen this, Vic, but I did want to bring up the fact that uh, Ryan Fuller has talked about in interviews that uh, season four, if they had it, would probably go into Will and uh, Hannibal possibly being in Argentina, sort of like a, a, an adaptation of the end of Hannibal, but with Will instead of Clarice. No, I I completely see that. Yeah. Because, uh, well... <laughs> When well, because find... like I said, ha- I mean, Will's character is exhausted. It's over. And the direction that we are very clearly going in in this show is that Will is a smart guy and he's got, you know, these great abilities and everything. But when it comes to Hannibal, he just he's just weak. You know, like he, he there's a part of him that could never let go of his righteousness and his conscience. But there's just this other part of him that really just can't resist Hannibal and Hannibal's the same way, where it's like he's got his his code and his way of doing things, but when it comes to Will Graham, he's just 
he's just too into him. You know, he just can't resist. So I feel like if season four was going to go past what just happened in this finale, it's like I, everything, all bets are off for Will. You can pretty much do whatever you want now. Mm-hmm. So I, I can totally see him taking the place of Clarice at the end of Hannibal and basically just submitting and being like, you know what? Fine. You know, and just, just, just trying it for a while. You know, I'm not even saying that like he's brainwashed. It's just him just accepting like, you know what? Maybe I need to just be with Hannibal for a while and just see how, and just see how that is. You know, like when he says it's beautiful, I don't understand him when, when he's saying that necessarily, but I believe him. Yeah. And, and so there is there is some part of him that is genuinely uh, like the part of him like I think there is part of him that genuinely appreciates what Hannibal has risen up in him like there's a whole thing of the becoming and all of that uh, and uh, so yeah once I once I realized the possibilities of what they could do going off from this, I actually <laughs> have you been waiting with bated breath listeners to find out what my actual verdict for this episode was, is I actually is. really uh, was, I, I now I really like the ending and I was really excited and then immediately depressed because I'm like, they don't have season four yet and they may not get it and we may never get to see the, that that side of the story explored. It's okay though because we got to see that just just panicked look of beleaguering terror on Bedelia's face after like oh three epi- after like three episodes of her being all shitty like haha you know I'm gonna I already slept with them and survived so I'm gonna tease you because you never got to yeah. and yeah and then like you know oh hey by the way we're gonna release him and she's like oh what you what. Yeah, we're, we're getting late, but we have to talk about that scene because that may have been my favorite scene in this whole episode after the last scene. Just cut to Bedelia, they do that pan, and she's just she is so disturbed by by Will's plan, and, I, and it's just like she, that whole scene because she is such a clever person and so smart. And she is she is goddamn terrified, and she's like, so terrified. You, you you can't let him out. You. Stupid idiot! And Will's just like, like whatevs, I'm doing it. And he's back on the menu. He's back on the menu, and she she has that fantastic line: "You righteous, reckless, twitchy little man." <laughs> Which, oh my gosh, that he who holds she gets, the devil, let him hold him well. She so hard, gets some hard of the stuff. best fucking lines on the show. <laughs> Because every, like, we've talked about this on the podcast before, every, like, every time she has one of those psychological sessions, or when whenever she just gets to have an extended conversation with anyone, specifically Hannibal or Will, she's just dropping truth bomb after truth bomb, and she well, can, I always, <laughs> she can I, mic I, drop at any of them, but she keeps going. I, I was always particularly fond of what Janice Poon said way back in season one, where she was like... You know, uh, Bedelia, man, she's great. Uh, you know, I just, it's just, I, 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 what did she say? She was like, I always feel like whenever she's on screen, she and Hannibal are basically just having a pissing contest for who could be creepier. (laughs) 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 And I was like, that's so true. Like, that's exactly what she does. And in, in this season, it was like, 
she completely upped the ante. It's like oh, she, yeah. she she showed herself as being vulnerable to Hannibal, and now she's being all like playing the victim card, and so it's like she just completely like doubled the ante for like I'm just gonna be this super like mysterious, creepy like I'm just. It's almost like. I don't know. It's almost it's almost like Mephistopheles ish, where it's like you know she's not the devil, but she's gonna try really hard to kind of act like him. Mephistophelian <laughs> <laughs> was the word you were looking for there. Mephistophelian. <laughs> there you go. Well, and that and that that also stems from the fact that, like, as we learn during the Red Dragon storyline, she is genuinely resentful to a certain degree of Will for stealing Hannibal's affection away. Pretty much. <laughs> well, like, and she keeps taunting him about it, like, you know, like, you know, I was with him, but on the, uh, but like underneath the veil, and you yeah. were always on the other side. <laughs> and then she's kind you of know? pissed off about it, like, like and even I'm then, not, he still dude, likes I'm not gonna lie, <laughs> Like, at the risk of incriminating myself on a podcast, like, I swear to God, in that scene where she was like, you know, I was with him underneath the veil, I swear. Where I was so waiting for him, for her to just look Will in the eye and be like, "You want to know how big it is?" <laughs> <laughs> like I swear to God, like I swear to God, like like she is so like lording that over him, like, "Hey, you know, we've had sex, and you totally want to, <laughs> but you're too wrapped up in your self righteous. Oh, I got to be a good person thing to." <laughs> oh. And the thing is, I at this point I wouldn't put it past Brian Fuller to actually put that line into a script because <laughs> he's done stuff like that. He had freaking Mason say to Alana, "Oh, are you a swallower?" Yeah, <laughs> you look. Yeah, like... <laughs> spitters are quitters, and you don't look like a quitter to me. <laughs> it's like, the yeah, show, the stuff that they've been able to get away with. Oh my gosh. Well, on that note... Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> it, it, is there anything we haven't touched on? I'm sure there is, but... I mean... I, you know, I can't help but feel like there's definitely going to be more Hannibal to talk about. I don't know in what way. I don't know if it'll be a show or, like, a, a film or... Or even if there's just one more time that you'll get to talk about, you know, you know Brian Fuller's last words on the show before we put it to rest or whatever... There's definitely going to be, there's always going to be more to talk about. I mean, honestly, I'm already counting down to when I can buy the Blu-ray and watch it all in order and, you know, notice things I didn't notice before and mm -hmm. whatnot. So, I mean, honestly, this show, even if we only get three seasons out of it, it's, it's a work of art, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's not perfect, but it's amazing and it's, Better than a lot of the crap that's on TV. <laughs> so, I'm just glad that we had it. In the yeah, first. it's amazing that we got three seasons. Yeah. Theo? I mean, I'm sad to see it go. I really hope that we will have something else to talk about in the future. Um, I know there's a push for... Uh, there's a push this... Is it tomorrow... Um, live tweeting the uh, the British premiere of the finale uh, uh, to try and get Sky TV to take notice of it because Sky TV's actually been very good about promoting the show. Um, 
they're big fans of the show. They like they're they're just like a distributor, and their freaking banner is Hannibal, like on their official Twitter. Oh wow! Uh, so they've been very good about the show. So there's a big Save Hannibal push uh, tomorrow evening, I believe. Um, I'm not sure what the exact time would be uh, for us because you know they're like um, <clears throat> there's a like six hour time difference. So yeah. I'm not positive when it would be uh, efficient to uh, to start pushing that hashtag. Um, well, and, might... uh, we're going to be putting this episode up after it's happened, probably. Yes, <laughs> yeah, more than likely. That's yeah. true. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. Um, <laughs> but I'll probably I'll go and reblog the thing on our Tumblr, and I'll probably queue up some tweets to go up. Like to be, you know, posted when that hashtag is active, just so we contribute something to it. But listener, you will know if Theo has done this or not. <laughs> oh god, I'm gonna have to, and I have to put my money where my mouth is. Um, no, but seriously, uh, I'm, just, you know, I'm in this place where I'm content with this. If this is the ending, yeah. I want more. But if this is if this is all we have, you know, it's a hell of a way to go out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It works. It works as an ending. Yeah. And endings are hard, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Endings are really hard. Well, as is the end of this podcast, which this is <laughs> this is not the end of the podcast as a whole, just the end of the episode of this podcast. No, um, yeah, you're not getting rid of us. Yeah, we're we're sticking around. Um, in a, I will be back to replace Theo once again. <laughs> at some point in the future. <laughs> Only Theo, though. If I'm off, then you're not allowed. No. <laughs> no, no. Theo will just kind of like, you know... Well, he's DFR. Designated Theo replacement. Uh... We, need a, we, need a, we need a designated Ian replacement as well. Ah, uh, okay. That could, that could be just me wearing a funny hat. <laughs> I'm, totally... delighted, I'm delighted by the fact that <laughs> that it wouldn't like no one would know. I, I, I know, but I mean, it's I would like know. That, it's like it, that would, it would change. It would change my perception of of my my personality as <laughs> as I join your podcast. It's like the, that first issue of um, Cable and Deadpool, where the phone <laughs> yeah. and Deadpool picks it up, and they're like, "Oh, is Deadpool there?" He's like, "Oh yeah, hold on a second. He puts his mask on. He's like, "This is Deadpool." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I can't cover for Ian not in a funny hat. Just just realize. I mean, that you're only human. Just realize if if you do do that, then you may uh, uh, suffer from bouts of self-deprecation and referencing old '90s book series. Hmm. <laughs> well, that's yeah. I'll have to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> but in any case, um. This is the close to Hannibal Season 3, possibly the series, but in a couple of weeks we are going to have uh, the ever-magnificent Cleo Linda Jones on to uh, do a sort of series retrospective, talking about the series as a whole. Um, and uh, so, yeah, stick around for that. Uh, and uh, we hope that you have enjoyed our discussion of Hannibal Season 3. I know that I have. Vic, thank you for joining us for this episode. It was a lot of fun. Thank yeah, you for having me. Always a pleasure, guys. 
And uh, we will see you on the tweets, on Blogspot, on Tumblr. You'll hear all that in the ending music. Good night, everyone. Good night. See ya. This has been A Matter of Taste. If you'd like to get in contact with us, email us at amatteroftastepodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at AOMOTPodcast. Find full episode posts at amatteroftastepodcast.blogspot.com. And follow us as A Matter of Taste Podcast on Tumblr, Facebook, and iTunes. Thanks for listening. I already know exactly what I'm going to say first, so we need to get going. Okay. I'm, like, ready. Vic, you said you wanted, you had something right off the bat. Yes. Um. Crap, now I have to think of what it was. <laughs> Damn, Vic! In it. You had one job! <laughs> this um, is our finale episode. <laughs> I know. Crap. I'm gonna uh, get us just start us up a fucking cafe press store and one of the t-shirts <laughs> is going to be just hashtag consummate professionals. <laughs>